0: In you know, the beginning of this morning, I just want to just show of hands, how many of you guys want more peace in your life? It's something almost everybody wants. You know, I was thinking about it. it's Mother's Day and, um, several years ago, I was trying to get something for Beth, she was a new mom, you know, within a couple of years, and, and she was just very chaotic. We had, you know, a baby, and then we had another baby, and anyway, things were just kind of chaotic, and so as I was looking for perfume, I came across this one that was called Peace. I thought, yeah, it sounds like a neat thing. I'm a pastor. Peace. It works, you know. And uh, it said on the title, it says, wear it to feel serenity. And I thought that's what my wife needed. I took it home and I gave it to her, but it didn't bring the peace that I was hoping for. Apparently, that's also when we discovered that I couldn't smell because of my allergies. Anyway. But if it were only that easy, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, you, things get a little chaotic in life. You start worrying. You start stressing about stuff. You, you start having some anxiety and you just spritz a little bit here or there. And all of a sudden, whew, I feel great. You know, my kids are screaming over there, but I'm just doing awesome. I mean, you have peace. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite look like that, and doesn't quite work that way, does it? But peace is something that we all crave for. It's something that we all desire. In fact, so much so that people will do almost anything in life to find it. You'll find people that will travel to exotic places all at great expense all to try to find this, this elusive peace. You'll find people who will sniff up their nose a brain-destroying drug in an effort to... Try to find peace. You'll find people who will try New Age rituals, all sorts of stuff, to be honest, all in this effort to find some kind of peace of mind. But it eludes them, because the truth is that very few people in this world are at peace with themselves. Most people carry high degrees of stress, of anxiety, of tension in their lives on a day-to-day basis, and it's like the video, we just kind of clamor out, I need more, I need peace, I need that, where I'm not worried and stressed and anxious and, and all that kind of stuff about life. And we start asking, why is it that I carry all this all the time? There's actually an answer to that, and the answer is that it's because we know that life is not fair at times. We know that not everybody lives a happily ever after. We know that things don't always turn out right. And what makes it even more difficult at times is that we don't even know the why to why it doesn't work out the way that we have planned it. I mean, you don't know why things don't happen in your life the way that you intended them to happen in your life, and we tend to get frustrated We tend to get anxious, we tend to get nervous, we tend to get stressed, and we lose our peace. And so God recognizes that need in our life. He knows that it's a need in our life. And so in Scripture, he promises that, I'm going to give it to you. In fact, in John 14, verse 27, which is the text that was read, he says this, I'm leaving you with a gift. We all love gifts. It's Mother's Day. A lot of you guys, half of you guys are going to get gifts today, probably. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give isn't fragile like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. In other words, he sees the chaos in our life and he wants to help. And I think that's an amazing thing. That not only does he see, not only does he care, but he, he so often wants to do things and help us in our life to get us to the other side. And if God says, "I'm offering you the gift of peace today," then He means it. And it's not something you work for, which is probably good. It's not something we deserve, which is clear. It's not something we try for. It's not something we beg for. It's not something we plead for. God says it's a gift. But if we're truly wrestling with this process right now, then the logical next question is, if it's a gift, Pastor, then why don't I have more of it in my life? Why do I still struggle so much trying to find that, that elusive thing where I'm not filled with anxiety and stress and worry and tension about the future? And that's what I want to take a look at this morning. I want to take a look at how do you find peace in the midst of... The chaos we call life. I mean, and what does it look like? You know, as I go through, through these three different things, and there's actually three, there's probably more than that in Scripture, but I'll give you the top three that God gives us in order to, to help us find this elusive peace in our life. Remembering it's a gift. But all these things I'm going to talk about are hard. And, and one of the things that we have to remember is that peace comes from trust. And trusting is one of the hardest things we can do in life, especially when it comes to God. It's the thing that we all struggle with probably more than anything else. One of the first things that God directs us toward is this in Scripture. He says we need to learn to accept what cannot be changed. I'm going to give you just a light one at the very beginning and just think, you know, you're at your wedding and the flowers don't show up. You can either choose to fret about that and have it ruin your wedding or you can say, well, no flowers, I'm still getting married, you know, and you can move on. What's the difference between the two? One of them was consumed by something that wasn't important and and the other person was consumed with what was important, the getting married part. One person had peace, one person did not. But as you look at that, probably the classic example of accepting things that cannot be changed is the story of Job in the Old Testament. If you remember the story Job played kind of in the Super Bowl of Suffering, right? This guy was the wealthiest man in his generation. He had it all. He was a very godly man, a very dedicated man, a very devout man of God. People would come to him for advice. He was constantly praying for his kids. it; he was going to church all the time. He was praying all the time. He was in God's Word all the time. And yet in one day, actually a 48-hour period, he lost everything. First, all ten of his kids were murdered. It'd be a very bad day. Then he lost all of his wealth. His crops were destroyed. His flocks and herds were either stolen or destroyed. In one day, he went bankrupt just absolutely instantly. He lost everything overnight. And as if that weren't enough, that goes on and says he got a terrible, painful disease that left open sores on his body, oozing, some kind of ooze that he scraped with a rock, and he was in pain 24 hours a day. We think we had a rough day. I mean this guy at least is pretty competitive toward any one of our rough days that we've ever had. The only thing he had left in his life was an unsput support of bitter because she had been through the same kind of things. wife who nagged him all the time. In fact, she came to job at one point and says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" In other words, just be done with it. Put a fork in yourself and just just be done with it. God has done you no favors That's what I call emotional support in the home. but the most difficult experience or circumstance in Job's life was this. He had no apparent explanation that was given to why he was suffering the way he was. There was no reason at all why he, was befa- he had befallen all these things. There was no understanding. There was no hint. There was no God saying, this is why I'm doing this in your life. He thought he had been doing everything right, and bam, everything went wrong. Now looking back, you can see what was going on because as you read through the book of Job, you find out that there were other forces at work, right? God was allowing a test. Job didn't know that, but God did. Satan was involved. There are all kinds of things that were going on that Job didn't understand. We see that looking back, but at the moment, Job had no idea. It didn't make sense. And the most difficult part of all was Job saying, look, God, I'm a good guy. I've been trying to do everything that you've called me to do. I don't understand why this is happening. And for 37 chapters, God says nothing. Zip, zilcho. And the question I had this morning is, has any of this kind of thing ever happened to you not maybe to the extreme of course but have you ever been in a, in a crisis where God just seemed to be silent we've been praying up to God for answers and nothing just it's like it's a brass ceiling on, on, on heaven and just keeps bouncing back all your prayers and you're asking why God is this happening see Job was going through the greatest struggle that he'd ever been through in his life the test was not only about peace of mind but it was also about character And yet, this is the guy who said, in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of the non answers, in the midst of the horrific stuff that happened in his life, he said this Though he slay me, talking about God, because that's the way he felt, that God was pursuing him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. He didn't say, Though God's after me and trying to slay me, I'm just going to put a fork in it and kill myself. A lot of people do that today. But he said, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. See, ultimately, this is the point of the story. When God is silent, you need to learn acceptance. Remember when you were in in high school or middle school and you were taking a test, right? And the teacher would sit up on the front desk and they were just totally quiet. Maybe you'd even try to ask questions about the test, but they wouldn't give you any answers. They'd just tell you to be quiet. And so they were just quiet the whole time and you had to figure out the test by yourself. I guess that's what made it a test. I think so often that's what happens in life too. God's kind of the teacher and He's not going to give you the answer in the middle of the test you may get it later you may get it in heaven right but you're certainly not going to get it in the middle of the test and so it's through acceptance lots of times that you begin to find that path to peace and so here's what you do you go through an experience and you do what you can you do everything that you think of that you can do but then you get to a point where you can't do anything more and so you accept what cannot be changed You've got a health problem, a handicap, a difficulty. You go to the best doctor that you can find. You do all the therapy that you can. You do all the different kinds of things that you can think of. But once you've hit that wall and nothing can be done, you accept what cannot be changed. you've got a problem with a child and you try to work with that child, you try to do the best thing that you can, you get all the best experience, all the best advice, all the best counseling, you read the best books, whatever you can do, you try. But once you've hit a wall and there's nothing more that can be done, you trust you accept what cannot be changed. If you're in a marriage and it just isn't working out, you do the best that you can. You you try to do everything you can. You try to love them the way God has called you to love them. You get counseling. You do all these different things. But then you accept the person, whether they ever change or not. doesn't mean at that point you leave. It says you accept the person, whether they ever change or not. Because you promised in the wedding vows to love them for better or for worse. God says the starting point to peace is accepting what cannot be changed. They'll take you back to the wedding some people totally get freaked out by something not going perfect at the wedding and it ruins their whole day. Other people just have the focus on the fact that I'm getting married today. This is cool. I don't care if the whole thing's a train wreck. you know I don't care if a tornado comes through as long as the pastor says, "We're married, I'm good, you know We get to that point. This person is consumed by things. this person is not. There's a certain point in life, and this is where all, a lot of our stress and our worry and, and all it comes, comes in, we get to that point where we can't do anything else in life. We can't control it any further. We've tried, we've done everything we can, but we can't control it any further than this. And so we stress and we worry because we feel that maybe if we do those things, we're, we'll control it somehow. But God says in the midst of that, just accept what cannot be changed. Get to a place where you're just like, okay, I've done everything I can and I'm going to give the rest to God. I'm going to accept where I am. And then God goes on to give us a second part. And do we like that? No, we don't like to accept anything. But God says that's where peace comes from. He goes to a second part and says, Then after you've accepted, you trust. You trust in God's loving care. Trust that God's got it. I mean, that's how we accept it in the first place, trusting that we're giving it over to God. As I said earlier, you'll never have a problem free life. But in fact, there's no such thing as a problem free life because there's always something, right? If it isn't one thing, it's another thing. In fact, once you solve your number one problem in your whole life, number two gets promoted. So number two becomes the number one thing in your life. And after you get that thing solved, because you're a, very, you know, you're a survivor and you're solving all these problems in your life, you get that number two thing solved. Now now all of a sudden number three was promoted to number two. He's the number one thing in your life that's causing you problems. And life is just like that. It's a series of things that continue to cause problems, one problem after another in our life. And there's a word for a series of problems. It's called life. So you've got to learn peace of mind in the middle of the chaos or you'll never have peace of mind in your life. And as soon as one pops up, you deal with it. Another one pops up and another thing's going to take place. And you start asking, well, why is that? I mean, why do things continually happen that are bad in my life? Just about the time I think that my house is completely working and I don't have to do anything more to it, something else goes wrong. Or the same thing with my car. I finally take it in and it gets working and it's completely and somebody bashes in my taillight. Now I've got to get that fixed. And then something else happens and it seems like it can never catch up. It's always hitting my pocketbook or my emotional self or, or, or my family. Or I can never get ahead. And there's a, actually a reason for that, three reasons. In the first place, Adam choked with Adam and Eve, right? They, he blew it. He and Eve gave into temptation. And so entered sin into the world. And we're all paying for the results of that. We live in a fallen world, so this is not a perfect world. I don't know if any of you were confused about that, but we do not live in a perfect world. There's always problems that continue to enter into the fray. We live in a very imperfect world. It's why bad things happen to good people. It's why people sin against us, because sin is now into the world. Two, we actually have an enemy, and his name is Satan. Somebody asked me, do you really believe in a personal, real devil like that? I said, absolutely, because that's what Scripture talks about. That's what God believes. That's what God says is real. The Bible talks about him over and over. It's silly to walk through life pretending that he doesn't exist. And all you have to do is pick up a newspaper or turn on the television and you see his work all the way across the world. Evil is a real entity in our world today. And Satan wants to mess us up because he doesn't like us, because he hates us. He wants to mess up our mind. He usually starts with us, see if he can get to us, see if he can confuse us, see if he can get us mad, see if he can alter our perception to the point where we're not really dealing with reality anymore ultimately if he can mess us up enough maybe we'll kill ourselves and then he wins eternally if he can't get to us he'll go after our family to see if he can mess with them if he can't get them he'll go after our health or after our finances and particularly if you are a follower of christ if you're trying to do the right thing if you're trying to follow jesus you can know you're an enemy of the devil he's going to try to mess with you in any way he can god gives us victory over him but he does complicate our lives and so you've got this world competing against you, a fallen world, a messed up world, a broken world. You've got a personal enemy who continues to compete against you. And on top of that, we make all of our own mistakes. We blow it. In fact, most of the problems in my, and pain in my life actually come as a result of my own poor decisions, my lousy choices. When I make dumb decisions in my life, I always pay the penalty. In fact, I would tell the Bible class that Wednesday morning, I get to, I've gotten to a point in my life where I have a healthy fear of God because I know as I'm heading down this path that is not right, that is that I'm pursuing sin, that I have this window, it's usually a short window, where I can turn myself around and not just get hammered by God. Because if I know if I go too far, He's going to correct me because He promises to correct those whom He loves. And He's done that so consistently in my life that I know it's true. When I sin, there are always results. And most of the time, the devil doesn't have to worry too much about me because I'm messing up my own life plenty enough. Those things are always working to bring problems into my life. And pain... Well, it comes as a result. But there are occasions, there are sometimes where the pain in your life is nobody's fault. Sometimes the the problems in your life you can't blame for anybody. We like to blame people, but sometimes there's just no one to blame. One day Jesus was walking down the street and he found a man who was born blind. He was blind from birth and the disciples looked at the man and said to Jesus, Okay, Lord, in this case, who sinned? Was it the man or his parents? Implying that it had to be a problem because of sin. And that, that theology or that, uh, that, that therapy is still around and alive today in, in all the a whole bunch of different places. It's either your fault or your parents' fault, right? The idea is still around. Either you blame yourself or you blame your parents. That's the reason for every ill in our world today, it seems. It's not a new idea. But when Jesus was asked whose fault it was, Jesus said neither. It's neither the man's fault or the parent's fault. In John 9, he says this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. See, there's some things that God has allowed so that he can be given victory over it, somehow that it brings praise to him, like in the case of the blind guy who was given sight. There's certain things that he allows so that when he fixes it, so that when he honors it, or as we watch the person walk through life and still praise God in the midst of difficult circumstances, that somehow God gets the glory. Sometimes there's a problem in your life so that the work of God can be displayed in your life in a way that it couldn't otherwise be done. But regardless of why you have the problems that you have, that are unsolvable, unimaginable, unchangeable, unexplainable, uncontrollable. Regardless of the problem, regardless of the source, whether it came from the world, the devil, yourself, or you don't know where it came from, you still have to learn the same response. And that's to trust in the loving care of God. At some point, you have to trust that God's got it. I mean, you don't got it. You're dying on the mind. You've got to trust that God's got it. And if you can give your problems, your worries, your stress, your anxieties to God to let him worry about that stuff, trusting that he works all things for the good of those who love you, love him, then it brings peace. At least it starts to. And then he goes on to this last one, which is surrender to God, to God's loving control. Because the real reason why you're in turmoil, why you have so much anxiety, why you have so much tension so much of the time is because you're fighting a war with God in your mind. You think, no, I'm not, Pastor, but you actually are. And this is what it is, so often you think you know better than God. That's why we argue with Him. That's why we have different plans. Every day you wake up and you have a decision that you have to make. Am I going to be in control or is God going to be in control? Who's going to be in control of my life, me or God? Who's going to be in control of my life? And we struggle with this, and it's just the reality that we think we know better at times than God does. And so there's verses in the Bible that we want to ignore because we don't want to pretend that they're right. We don't want to do what they have to say. We wanna make up our own rules, we wanna play our own games. You think you're God. Well we don't, but we think we know better than God, which makes it the same kind of thing. And the more you take control of your life, the more miserable you become, and the more out of control you become. And if you don't believe me, just continue to try it. Continue to have your focus on your belly button as you walk through life and see how many things you crash into. It's amazing. The reason is because it doesn't work. You're at war with God and you're not gonna win that kind of war, but you're at war with God when you try to play God. Because now you're setting up that rival God before him. And the Bible is very clear about the results of these kind of decisions. In Romans 8, verse 6, it says this If a person's thinking is controlled by his sinful self, then there's death. But if his thinking is controlled by the Spirit, then there's life and peace. And so those are kind of your alternatives. You got death or you got life and peace. Again, the same question who's going to be in charge? And I don't know if you've ever thought through this, but it's obvious, right? In a war with God, you're just going to lose. It's like the old saying goes, our our arms are too short to box with God. I don't know, how many of you guys know Muhammad Ali, recognize the name? Most of you hope. But the reality is, back in his day, when he was on top of the world, I, I remember seeing clips, and he'd go around the world, he'd say, I am the greatest, I am the greatest, you know, and he had his own sayings, and but then a few years ago at the Olympics, uh, and he had cerebral palsy and, and he was going up to light the, the torch. I don't know if any of you remember that. And he was just shaking and it almost looked like he, he wasn't going to be able to light it. He was struggling so bad. And I, I just had those two images in my mind and, and, and probably most of you do too. But maybe what you didn't know is that he was interviewed later on and, and he said this. He said, God gave me this, this Parkinson's. And he says, he gave me this so that I could remember that I'm not the greatest, but that he is. And I think that's pretty good advice, and it's truly an amazing attitude in the midst of struggle, right? The reality is I don't know why all the things that have happened to you in your life have happened. I don't know why God allowed them. I simply don't have all the details. But what I do know is the following. I do know that we live in a fallen world where we're free to make bad choices, and so are others. And as a result, people get hurt. I do know that God has a greater purpose for our life than the problems that we're suffering through. I do know that he's more interested in your character than he is in your comfort or your happiness. He wants to build you up. He wants to make sure you're with him in heaven. I do know that God knows just how much you can handle in your life and doesn't give you more. I do know that this is not heaven. This is earth. Heaven is where we have that ultimate comfort, but that is not here. I do know that if you think you're due a problem-free life on this earth, you're kidding yourself because it's never going to happen. I do know that God has a plan for your life and that plan involves pain at times because He wants you to grow. I do know that He's already determined the rewards that you will receive in heaven based on how you respond on this earth. And I do know that He loves you deeply. And I do know that He wants you to trust Him. And I do know that this is the only way He has given us to find peace. It comes through acceptance, through trust that God's got it. And this surrender the surrender to our loving God. That's how we find peace. And it's not easy because it's hard to do that trust thing. But each one of them, if you can give him those worries, if you can give him those stresses, if you can give him that anxiety, he gives you back peace. And all God's people said, Amen.